Hello and welcome to How to Grow a CMO, where each week I will talk to marketing leaders from the biggest B2B brands in the world to understand their mindset, discover growth strategies and what it takes to be successful. This week I sat down with Carol Howley, Global Marketing Director at Canonical. This one's worth listening to because we find out what she learned leading the scale-up of Skyscanner, how she built high-performing teams, why a growth mindset is key, how flexible working can increase the pool of key talent, and why running away from it all at the end of the day provides just the trick to unwind. From the CMO crowd, this is How to Grow a CMO. My guest today is Carol Howley, Global Marketing Director at Canonical. She's had a 15-year career in the digital and technology space for established businesses and startups specializing in operational strategy, developing people, building teams, marketing communications, and branding. She also has a, a string of impressive achievements from managing the B2B marketing at Best Western to scaling the business and marketing function from zero for Skyscanner, a tech unicorn, and now she's the global marketing director for an open source software company, Canonical Ubuntu. Hello there, Carol, and welcome to How to Grow a CMO. Hi, thank you very much for the introduction. I'm really excited to be here and to speak with you today. So from global brands to unicorns like Skyscanner and beyond, you really seem to have been faced, Carol, with lots of different growth challenges pretty much at every company. So what would you say your philosophy is when you approach challenges? Um, I think approaching challenges is obviously to, to look at what's in front of you. But I think for me as a as a team leader and a, a sort of senior marketer is really my team and the people that I have, you know, working for me and making sure that they're happy, that they've got a good structure in place, that, you know, we're, operate, we're able to operate at scale, that we can build things in, that we can, you know, really support those people to deliver what they need to do. So I think that's been my biggest, my biggest kind of successful approach is, is making sure that your team's in the best possible position with clarity of direction of deliverables and all of that side of thing so yeah I think without without my team and without the people that you work with and and sort of plans in place you won't really be able to achieve anything so what kind of tips do you have for trying to create that really good team spirit is it all about team building exercises outside of the office how do you try and and bring the team together particularly of course when we've gone through such tumultuous times yeah, absolutely. I mean, Canonical's a, a remote first company. It's the first time for me really being completely remote first, which I think helps and supports because you do have to focus on how the remote element has changed, how it means that you're now operating. You know, how you really need to structure those lovely check-ins when you're going to make a coffee and you bump into people or you're just asking someone for help at the side of a desk and all of those things that you miss out on. But I think, you know, obviously companies have got great structures in place, there's great technology to support it. But I really found kind of focusing on building out those personal connections, trying to get the team together to try and foster a spirit despite being, you know, thousands of miles away and in different continents and time zones has been a real kind of, uh, I guess, hard work, but also a really great success for us. 
The other thing is making sure that the team has what they need. You know, some people are, are motivated by different things. Some people really want certain elements, want certain opportunities, making sure that there's training available. And you kind of really structure the team and also what people want to do very clearly, give them clear direction, but also empower them and enable them to deliver against what they're, they're really excited by and what the, what the targets they set themselves as well. So I think it's just, yeah, having a really good culture, lots of yeah, empathy, understanding. Really, I think one big thing is having an ability to fail. We've kind of adopted more of a growth approach and a, a growth marketing approach in my team where people are encouraged to make mistakes and to test things, to learn, to look at how we optimize. You know, you can't get anywhere unless you make at least a few mistakes. So I think it's giving people the confidence to to really push boundaries and, and try new things out and having a great team is, is sort of part of that. I'm glad you talk about that word confidence because you do really need that confidence, don't you, to make mistakes, to say the wrong thing in a meeting. And if you don't, uh, aren't given that opportunity, uh, those silent types who uh, don't come forward their ideas, companies could really be missing out. And have, have you found that through your career? Yeah, definitely. I think everyone, you know, people, uh, all those kind of studies that you do as part of Canonical, we do a lot of kind of personality studies and it gives you some insights into people. And, you know, you talk through that with your your report and you, you know, I always like to have almost like a bit of a manifesto of how we work and how one-to-ones work and why I'm there. And I always articulate to people that, you know, I'm there to, to help them, to support them. I'm, you know, I'm their cheerleader, I'm their coach. I'm not there to do their work for them. I'm not there to you know, take credit for their work. I'm there to be that element of support and my roles transitioned from being that kind of individual contributor, that expert, you know, knowing everything about everything to helping people who are the experts to deliver more, to be better, to set targets, to motivate the team, to find the gaps, to kind of strategically resource into those gaps rather than necessarily be the expert all the time. I'm always really, really clear that actually what my role is is to support them to unblock things, to set the strategy and direction and for them to be those incredible experts who, you know, are the best people for the job. And that's sort of how I approach it. But everyone does like to operate differently. I think doing different things, you know, you can open you can openly ask at the end of the meeting, you know, how was that? Give me some feedback. Was it great? Some people would never give you feedback. So then it's thinking, well, you know, do we do a quick vote? Do we do a Slack chat? You know, all the things that people would then feel more confident sharing things in and just appreciating also the cultural elements and cultural differences. We have teams over in, in Asia, but also in the US and in EMEA. So it's really very just being very aware and and enabling different formats and functions for people to contribute. You're listening to How to Grow, a CMO podcast from the CMO Crowd. The CMO Crowd is brought to you by The Marketing Practice, the global integrated agency delivering growth for big name tech brands and ambitious B2B companies around the world. To find out more about us, visit themarketingpractice.com. So you're clearly a a cheerleader for the team and now a cheerleader for Canonical overall and uh, its product, Ubuntu. Tell me a bit about it. It's very techie, of course. You're selling to techie people. So what is the growth challenge in front of you and how are you approaching it? 
Um, yeah, so Canonical publishes Ubuntu, as you said, which is a, a huge open source network. We have within, I guess, within what we what we sell and what we retail, there's a number of products that we've built that are, you know, of use to, to companies. They're mostly techie products. As you say, I won't go into them in huge details with, on a marketing chat, but um, our biggest kind of areas of, of people we speak to is developers, is technology officers, is information, you know, all of that side of the business, which is obviously not quite the same as when you're a marketer, building a marketing technology function where you're selling to other marketers that's obviously a much easier option to have gone with but working with the kind of developer sphere is an area that I started in in, in Skyscanner and you know it's an area that I love working in um, and it's very similar I mean you know developers have go through the same purchasing decisions the same funnels you know they're interested in the same amount of content and things I think that the growth challenge is, is similar in terms of, you know, speaking to audiences, making sure your product's effectively positioned, making sure you're operating in the right spaces, you're focusing on disseminating your content. You know, obviously everything's gone so much more online and so much more digitally focused by default of not being able to see anyone in the last year. So um, I think the growth challenges are very similar to, to businesses across the, the B2B space. But um, for us, we're, we're kind of growing quite quickly. We've hired a lot of new people, which is fantastic for the business, but it means a huge amount of a shift in terms of, you know, how do we train those people? How do we how do we kind of bring people on board? How do we, you know, roll out that that kind of culture and the thing that people have joined for and, and keep consistency and documentation and proof systems? So we've got a huge amount of challenges, I think, as, as we've grown quite quickly to stay stay on board and, and kind of keep that company together and, and restructure things, I think, is probably one area that I'm worried about. And then also, you know, obviously, you're always focused in, in revenue, I think, as a B2B marketer, you're kind of a, a revenue marketer as well. And we're looking at, you know, the SQLs that we can deliver, the pipeline, how we grow our brands. I'm really, really interested in the, the shift in B2B marketing from lead generation to demand generation. I think we're we're trying that out. We're taking some very early steps in that sense. And that's a really interesting area as well that I'm really enjoying sort of working in at the moment as well. And how do you how do you navigate then that that shift from lead generation to demand generation? What kind of steps are you taking? I think it's something you have to do in a phase approach. You know, the business is very used to a focus on, on an SQL number. And, you know, obviously there's an element where you could go, well, if we're just looking at SQLs, let's put something out, let's gate it, let's put some ad spend behind it. And you've got kind of a short-term answer that's also kind of costly. Whereas if you start to kind of phase in what demand generation would encompass is everything from, you know, building your brand awareness. You can't, you know, people won't buy from you if they don't trust you, if they don't know what you are, if you're not kind of visible in all their, their kind of social media networks, you're not kind of known and spoken about. All of those elements that you can't really actually and you can't really measure do influence whether or not you purposefully do it or not they do influence that buying decision so it's us being more aware of kind of a full funnel approach and also aware that you know if people want to but we want people to buy from us they have to trust us they have to care about the products they have to have seen what it's about they probably want to see examples of other people using the product so we're starting to shift not just from purely kind of having a, a piece of information that's behind a gate to starting to look at actually what do we want to have visibly available to people what do we want to push how do we want to show up in the marketplace what thought leadership elements versus kind of you know funnel stage elements of content we want to work on so we're starting to kind of put things out where we disseminate things you know very openly position ourselves and focus on brand awareness while also maintaining a, a focus on that kind of direct you know sql generating 
pipeline comforts. So I think it's kind of you, you measure it in and as long as you know what your targets are, what you're aiming for, what ultimately your revenue lines are, then you're really able to kind of slowly work out what works and what channels work and where's the best areas. And for us, we have a number of different products. So also there's a variation in terms of product and product readiness and how we stage things. And you you mentioned just how important it is building trust. So let's talk about emotions. To what extent are you using them to really build the brand? Yeah, I think there's, you know, it's it's just a, a huge area and it's really interesting. I think I've always been fascinated by the kind of psychology behind marketing and why people would want to buy and how you build trust. And to be honest with me, I think you know everything hinges on that element of trust and so we're really focused on you know how we improve our, our brand awareness through you know how we talk about the product how we you know show up in different areas how we start to kind of circulate our opinions we're looking at how we can really improve employee advocacy and, and training people on that side and you know who we work with and how we work with partners and things so it's a, a huge kind of to be honest an enormous area of, of focus but um so many different things that you can do to to build empathy and trust but I think one really important thing for for brands these days is people expect more. That experience is really important, not necessarily you know creating a fun, exciting experience, but the experience that you give to customers and you know standing up to your promises and and living by what you say and being authentic and and that gives people trust. And I think it's it's very easy for people to see through brands that aren't authentic and you know be very aware of what what should be happening and what isn't. So I think it's very much a, a customer focused approach for us that helps build that trust. And was that the same approach that you had at Skyscanner as well, building an authentic brand? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Skyscanner was always really famous. I was always really proud for, from the CEO all the way down the company. It was customers first and then partners who were obviously the people that supplied us and we worked with and the businesses we worked with, they were always second and the company was always last. And that actually resulted, I think, in some some decisions where maybe we weren't necessarily putting the business or profits first. But the most important thing for them was that the customers had the best experience, that they could trust the company, that we were reliable, that we were there. You know, we lived by our promises and we stood up to to what we said we would do. So that was hugely important at Skyscanner. And I think it's a, it's a really good motto to live by for businesses. Oh, and what about the differences, though? Are you seeing real difference in approach emerging right now compared to how you did business and pursued marketing strategies at Skyscanner? Um, I think it was Skyscanner was a very different business. So obviously it was a, a B2C focused business, although we had a two-sided marketplace. So we were able to, you know, I was able to work on B2C marketing campaign strategies with the team very closely, while also really focusing on the B2B side of the business and the revenue and the corporate, you know, corporate identity and the brand. Obviously at Canonical, we're purely a, a B2B business. And so it's it's a hugely different business and a different focus. I think one thing I've noticed is probably there's obviously been a huge increase and it's talked about all the time of of data and attribution and measurement and metrics and intelligence that has led to that rising kind of growth hacking and growth focused marketing which is fantastic and it's amazing and you know we we experiment all the time with how we track things and you know what ROIs they are and how we can improve all of that element but I think there's also as things you know shift through everyone was obsessed with how much we can measure and some people I think forgot the the empathy and the brand and the importance of you know how people talk about you and the social channels and all those things that you can't measure and I think now it seems to be swimming swinging back into the middle of you know the balance of the very technical measurements but that informing your strategy rather than driving your strategy and, and certainly for us that's the case. 
You're listening to How to Grow, a CMO podcast from the CMO Crowd. And at Skyscanner, you you really did use growth hacking to deliver some some really fantastic results for the business. Was that the approach really that developed, do you think, through that process, that need to use data, but also have empathy? Um, yeah, I think at Skyscanner, the, the whole marketing team actually restructured and, and renamed into growth. And I think we were to be fair, at the time we were doing an element of growth and marketing and you know things didn't change hugely, but the big approach was that that kind of element of um I think experimenting, being willing to fail, measuring more and more things, but um slowly using the intelligent approach of okay, we can measure all of this, we have this much of the picture, but you know, what do we then apply and what logic do we apply and you know, how do we kind of mix things together? So I think that was the growth hacking approach for us. We went very much down the metrics focus and then thought actually if this informs what we do and we're willing to test and trial and take risks and and sort of have not the the completely clear set path, but to to work out the best way based on the data, then we we kind of were able to be a bit more agile and move quickly. Just to give us some kind of idea of, of the scale of how you were operating, just how fast was the company growing at the time? Um, I can't really remember in, in sort of percentages, but, you know, we went from, you know, a very small small team kind of thing to into, I think we were 31 markets by the end of the time at, at Skyscanner very quickly within about sort of five to 10 years. So very, very fast growth um, and, you know, had coverage of around 90, I think it was 98% of the world's airlines were, you know, available through Skyscanner. So we grew really quickly um, and just went global very quickly as well. And does that growth mindset stay with you? Do you think, have you, have you still got it right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you as a marketer can avoid or should avoid having a growth mindset. I think, you know, my role is... Or high growth mindset, I should say. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's... Because there are risks, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, the startup marketing is probably, I think it is probably a, a bit of a thing now. And you do you do need to be agile and you're very much kind of building the plane while you're flying it and bits are falling off and you're not really too sure where you're going. And so there is, I think, maybe a different mindset to someone who's wanting to work in a more fixed business where things are very you know structured and set and it's a larger company and you probably have a more defined role and clearer goals um i'd say that's probably unlikely to be the case in a fast-growing startup you know where every six months we were finding that you know operationally and team structure and and where we were wasn't really working so we had to change we had to evolve we had to look at the numbers and we we changed our approach very regularly as i said generally six months was a good time frame for for things to completely changed in the business world that we're operating in so um so yeah i think a willingness to to focus on change to to test and learn be agile be flexible is probably one of the biggest things in in the growth marketing side you're listening to how to grow a cmo podcast from the cmo crowd Now, Cal, right now, uh, the sector you're currently operating in um, is facing a, a particular labour crunch. There's such high demand um, for other uh, skills and services uh, within the sector. How do you go about then building teams in, in such a competitive environment? Um, yeah, it's certainly been very challenging recently. And I think as you're growing quickly as well, it's hard to to look at what that means in terms of your staffing and what you need and the people that you want to bring into the business. Um, 
I think for us at Canonical, you know, staff retention, staff attraction has been a big, big focus area. And it really is everything from your brand and what you do and what people see and, you know, how they feel about you as to whether or not they want to work for you. But also, you know, how you how you structure your, your offers and your recruitment and all of that sort of thing. So I think it's we've definitely found it you know challenging. We're still getting huge amounts of applications for roles. Um, but filtering through those people and how you bring people on board and all of that side of thing is kind of the longer term elements of success. But we've we've certainly seen it's it's really, really challenging and there's certainly a lot of movement in the market at the moment. And also, I imagine given how different the business you're currently operating is, is compared to Skyscanner, you've got to make real changes to your recruitment process. Uh, yeah, I mean, for us, luckily, we've got a fantastic HR and recruitment team. So they're, they're working very much constantly on evolving the process and, and how we do things. And, you know, they, they recommend provide training, all of that side of things. So for us, that's that's um, very much kind of sits with them. But we're, as marketers, heavily involved in, in the process and you know, speak with the candidates and work with them and interview them and, and various things and give them lots of opportunity to ask us questions because ultimately it's a fit on both sides. You know, people you think it's great to work with you but maybe maybe everyone else doesn't agree but you know it's it's really we we like to kind of have a slightly longer process but give people that opportunity to meet people across the business to to really question and dig into if it's somewhere they, that they want to work and they're happy with as well. And you mentioned as well that it's uh, pretty much all remote the role that you're currently working in for all of the teams. Does that present more or fewer challenges for those team members with families, for example, I know you have a family uh, yourself. Do you think there's there's been any difference in how you can recruit and what types of people you can recruit and what life stage they're at? Yeah, I think it's I think it's sort of a choice. Some people really really love the the office environment and want to be in regularly. I think there's obviously been a huge shift in in favour of remote working, which is really helpful because it does enable you with a family to manage your hours better. I work, my team's global, so I have people all over the world. So literally I could work all day if I wanted in all night and I still have people online and speak, you know, able to speak to them and stuff. So it gives you that flexibility to kind of run your own schedules. You obviously work within a business, there's core hours and things, but I think for people with families and also people who maybe don't want to live in the city centre, it's given that flexibility and opened up that ability to work for some really fantastic companies. So um, for us, it's brilliant. It enables us to focus on on talent, on the right person for the role, and it makes it irrespective of where they happen to live or, or where they're from or, you know, their, their sort of nationality or, or sort of location. So for us, it's opened up really, it opens up the world and, and such a lot of opportunity for people. So that talent pool you're dipping into is just so much bigger now. Absolutely, yeah, and it doesn't restrict you. And it, it's just such a, it brings so many different opportunities, I think, and different perspectives. And uh, yeah, it's it's really great. Um, I absolutely love working with my team and all, all the different kind of cultures and nationalities and, and approaches that we have. Now, uh, you mentioned that you could be working 24-7, can't we all these days? It's pretty incredible how we're we're round the clock. But you have to be extremely uh, resilient and firm with yourself, don't you? How do you do that? Because I know you've got a, a little girl as well. And how do you uh, really draw the line and make sure you've got time for everything? 
Yeah, it's it's really hard. And I, I'm really strict with my team. Like I always say, you know, you should be working. You need to switch off. You need to finish the end of the day, set a time, close the door, walk away from your computer. I don't want to see you online out of hours. You know, I'll do my best, utmost to make sure that there's no messages flying around, that you're not kind of pressured. But, you know, I think that mental health is super important and you can have such a lot of kind of creep into your life. And, you know, I know I think the hardest thing for me is to switch off. Like I, I regularly worry about work things or think about things or you know you're having you just sort of just sat doing something mindlessly and your mind's rolling through what you could be doing or should be doing or opportunities and often that's for me when I have some of my best ideas is when I'm not actively focusing on on work but it's not not a great habit to get into so I mean I have I'm in my little room right now I have a room that's dedicated to my office I've got everything set up that I like and you know I go out I shut the door I do my best to kind of, you know, as soon as my daughter's back from nursery to to focus on her, to have those two hours, you know, in between the time where we, we do things, we do, you know, try and switch off at the weekend. But it is really hard because you love your job and you love what you do and you love the people that you work with and you, and you, you know, I enjoy working. It's just really, really hard to find that right balance. But I think it's good for everyone's health that you do. It doesn't seem like you're short of motivation, Carol. Um, it's just the the question is turning turning off that motivation yeah. uh, sometimes. <laughs> so, what would you say is the best way of winding down then at the weekend? Um, well, I thankfully because of being a remote worker, I live in the the countryside, so I usually um, I like running. I find for me it's a, a really good way of focusing. So I have two two dogs, two crazy spaniels. So I usually try and fit in to go for a run either before or after work. Um, spending time with my family, friends, you know, doing doing things like that, going out, being outdoors, um, going in my garden very excitingly <laughs> as I'm getting old. But um, yeah, I think just switching off and, and doing things that you really, really enjoy. Perfect. Okay, well, just to end uh, this chat today, uh, Carol, I've got three questions I'm going to ask you. Quick far round, and you can't ponder too much before answering the question. So you need to, first of all, uh, complete this sentence, the qualities I look for in my next exceptional hire are? Well, um, I think uh, a growth mindset. I think, you know, that that aptitude, that focus, that desire and inquisitive, you can't teach that. You know, you can teach skills, you can teach someone how to do digital marketing, admittedly, maybe not as, as well as someone who's focused in it their whole career, you know, in specific areas. But I think that aptitude and that interest and that willing to learn and, you know, that's something, you know, that approach and that mindset is something you can't teach. That inquisitiveness. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so I'm still inquisitive. You're under pressure, Carol, to deliver a big project at work. You're behind and the deadline is approaching. What do you do? Um, I always say, I mean, we've we've got lots of targets on us at, at Canonical. You know, we're working to a revenue line. We're focused on pipeline. We're focused on, you know, how many sales qualifiers lead, the quality of them. So there's always, always pressure and there's always planning and how do you do it better and faster and more effectively um, across the team. And usually whenever we're in a, a situation where where I'm concerned or, you know, I want to kind of upweight people's impact or, or kind of effort, then generally is to kind of get people together, you know, propose a few challenges, probably bring up a huge whiteboard, maybe a bit of a cross-functional brainstorm of, you know, what's working, what could we do, what's the problem that we're looking at, you know, no ideas 
a silly idea, no idea is too big, too small. Um, and then we kind of work together to come up with ideas and chat and share. And, you know, often used breakout rooms are fantastic for kind of getting people working in smaller groups and bringing them back together. So usually kind of just getting people together to, to share the problem and, and share ideas. And then you can kind of work through and prioritise, you know, effort and how well we can do things and, and what would give us the biggest reward and what's possible and things. And um, so that's usually as soon as we, we have kind of a big problem, especially in terms of deliverables or targets being a bit off, is, is to kind of bring people together and share the problem and the ideas great so that teamwork coming to the fore again and finally what is something people get wrong about you I think people think that I'm, you know, hugely confident and have all, all the answers and you know ready to do everything you know you, you as a leader you do need to kind of think and plan and be structured and organized and I think that comes quite naturally but generally I, I kind of turn up to work every day and, and wonder at what point they're going to realize actually you know I don't have every answer I don't I don't have every option planned out I'm not entirely sure often I'm doing things for the first time and I'm learning and yeah I'm just so so thankful that I work with so many intelligent incredible people who work together and you know support me as much as hopefully I support them so I think hopefully they won't realize that actually I, I don't have all the answers and I don't completely know what I'm doing but yeah definitely working as hard as I can to to sort of fix that so I think I, I imposter syndrome is something that people talk about all the, all the time but I think I definitely have one as well. An imposter syndrome but with a growth mindset that's clearly yeah. coming through and, and I'm pleased to say you answered all of these questions really well indeed. No thank you very much. Carol Howley thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate all of your time and I hope you enjoy your run this evening. <laughs> thank you. How to Grow a CMO is brought to you by the CMO Crowd and the Marketing Practice. The CMO Crowd is a community for senior B2B marketing leaders to network, share opinion and discuss challenges. If you would like to find out more about how you can join the crowd, visit cmocrowd.com.